Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile Life, the podcast. This is episode 69 called Flora. So guys, before we get started, I just want to give a little shout out to Fertility Rally, which is my other side hustle. It is live now. Memberships are available. We've got all different sorts of memberships. We have giftable memberships in case you know somebody who's going through infertility and you want to give them the gift of support. We've got community events, videos, bonus podcasts, so much content, lots of cool merch, all these fun perks and discounts, so much stuff. So anyway, just check it out at fertilityrally.com and email me or DM me if you have any questions. Okay. I also want to give a little shout out to a podcast I was on recently. My episode hasn't come out yet, but I just wanted you guys to give it a listen. It's called Meet Me Downstairs, and it's a podcast that honors the woman within the mother. So it's to create a space for her to feel seen and heard. It's all about building a community of sisters who are going through similar struggles and triumphs. And it's got lots of real and raw conversations about womanhood, motherhood, becoming mothers, trying to become mothers. It's really, really great. So check it out wherever you listen to podcasts or on their Instagram at meet.me.downstairs. Thanks. All right, guys. So let's talk about today's guest. So today I am honored to have Flora Sinha, MD, who is a board certified internist who practices in Southern California. And I met her when we were on a panel together for National Infertility Awareness Week. And she's just super honest and amazing. And today she's going to tell us about not what happened when she tried to have her first child because she did that without issue, but what happened when she tried to conceive her second child. So she and I have the secondary infertility bond going on. We're going to talk a lot about that, what it was like to go through this as a doctor, you know, having a doctor's perspective and going through all of this, even though she's a different type of doctor, but it's a great conversation and I'm going to let her tell it in her own words. So without further ado, this is Flora's infertility story. Laura, it's so good to talk to you again. Same here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for doing this. So we were on a panel together during National Infertility Awareness Week, which was great because I got to meet you, some other really fantastic people. So we both, the panel was about secondary infertility, which we were, we both have gone through. So I'd love to start at the beginning and just, you know, I always like to ask people, did you always want to have kids growing up and know that you want to be a mom? Oh, that's a great question. Um, Yes. So I come from a pretty big family. I grew up with two other siblings. So there were three of us. And I always imagined that there were going to be three kids. You know, I was going to be a mom of three children. Mm -hmm. And then when I started my medical training, I quickly realized, yeah, no, that's not going to (laughs) happen. I just didn't have the time and the sanity that I, you know, potential sanity, I think that would have been needed to raise three children appropriately. (laughs) Okay. So we should tell people you are a physician. Yes, I am a primary care physician. I'm an internal medicine doctor. 
Yeah, that was something within the world of medicine that a lot of us really didn't talk about till very recently. Did a lot of women in medicine start opening up, opening up about our infertility experiences? Um, really? Yeah, the percentage of infertility in women in medicine is actually higher. So one in four women in medicine experience some sort of, of infertility. Mm-hmm. Is that because um, they start trying to have them later after medical school and stuff? Yeah, you you know, there are a lot of different components. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, that is one of them. Training takes so long. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, There's four years of college, four years of medical school, minimum three years of training. And if you specialize, I mean, it could be you know seven or more years. And you're busy. It takes a lot of physical and mental energy to study and train and learn the craft of medicine. And then practicing Mm -hmm. medicine after training is is grueling as well. And on top of that stress induction, not meeting a partner till later because of training. There's so many different factors. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. I've never heard that stat before. Yeah. I actually learned about that stat when I went through my secondary infertility experience. And Mm -hmm. so it's not something, like I said, that we really talked about or really learned about. It was just kind of, you know, you do what you can and and that was it. So now that people are talking about it more and obviously you're out with your story and you've been on lots of different panels and you have a big Instagram following and all that, do you have people started coming to you in the medical field and saying, oh, I went through that too? Like, do you feel that? Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. I, it was shocked at the number of female and male physicians um, mm-hmm. who had gone through infertility in some way. And the fact that we're just talking about it more makes it so much more comfortable, it decreases the stigma. And also there are a lot, there's a lot more awareness about egg freezing and just options earlier on if you're not ready to have children. I mean, we all right. get it. We all have our own timing. Right. So tell me about what happened when you met your husband, started to try and all that. Can you go into some details there? Sure. So we got pregnant. I have a four and a half year old, Gia. Mm -hmm. She's amazing. She's Um, so cute. (laughs) Thank you. She's a a big personality. Yes. Um, I got pregnant naturally so quickly with her that I really didn't realize that I would have so much trouble the second time around. And I almost took my fertility for granted in that case. Yeah. I was the same exact way. Yeah. Isn't it strange? I mean, and then my mother who had care kids very early, but you know, she never had fertility issues and I just didn't really know about it and know how widespread it actually was. Mm-hmm. And so Sanjay and I, my husband and I always discussed, you know, maybe we want our kids two to three years apart. And when that time came around, I, you know, I looked at myself and I'm like, I am not ready for this. I'm mm-hmm. just feeling like myself again I think I went through some, I, I know I went through postpartum depression and just mm-hmm. didn't realize it in, in, until hindsight. Mm. And so we waited an extra year, mm-hmm. we started trying and, you know, I quickly realized IVF was in my near future after I wasn't able to conceive baby number two for uh-huh. a good six months. I went to an IVF specialist just to speak about options. I knew it, I was a little early. I was under 35. Um, we had been trying for six months mm-hmm. and I just wanted to make sure I got ahead of the game. And right. I was actually basically turned away. I was told that I was too young and mm-hmm. that I was stressed. And so was my husband and we just needed to keep trying and to come back if I didn't conceive 
after 35, which was over a year away. Wow. So how old were you when you had Gia? I was, wait, I'm like, I need to go back here. I was 32. Okay. (laughs) I know. I always forget those like dates and stuff too. Oh, wait, no, I was probably younger. (laughs) Time flies. Um, I was 31. Okay. Got it. And so we started trying when I was 33. And I went to go speak with the fertility specialist the first time right before my 34th birthday. Okay. So they basically were like, no, we can't do anything for you. Just keep trying. She did testing. Um, She did some labs just because I pressed her a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And she knew I was a physician. She knew I was educated on the topic. And we had a great discussion and we came to the conclusion that it was okay to just draw some blood work, but not to take action. And like I said, I wasn't, I thought I was educated, but I wasn't as savvy as I thought I was. And mm-hmm. so continued trying. By that time, it had been a year and still those red flags became stronger. And I pursued a second opinion, which is mm-hmm. my reproductive endocrinologist that I ended up establishing care with and pursuing IVF with. Okay. Now as a doctor yourself, did you have like any inside track on like who to go with, who the best people were or like asking around, or you probably knew like the right questions to ask? You know, surprisingly, I didn't. I, I, I really was in a whole different world when it came to infertility. Mm-hmm. Um, I had friends that had undergone, you know, their own experiences, but, and I'm sure you, you understand this. It's so hard to describe the experience to someone Mm -hmm. and it's so hard to empathize and really know what to say, what to do until you go through it yourself Mm -hmm. and you you know, your own mistakes or, you know, see a whole new side of infertility. So the second position I went with, I mean, she had a completely different approach and mind you, I still wasn't 35 at this time. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought it was so interesting how much more on board and aggressive she was knowing that we had tried for a year Mm -hmm. and I had conceived Gia so easily. It was definitely a different initial experience than my first um, Mm -hmm. consult. So what did she do that was aggressive or like what was the protocol? Yeah. So she immediately drew labs again. And after I got my labs back, we drew uh, hormone values and AMH, um, which is anti-Mullerian hormone, basically to, to, to kind of see what my egg quality and number would potentially be like. Now, these numbers aren't exact. And my AMH levels were relatively low, but according to her, not low enough for us to have complete elimination of a chance to get pregnant. Mm. So she was incredibly positive and very excited. And after, you know, the the routine testing and imaging, we found out my left fallopian tube was actually blocked for unknown reasons. And we don't know if that was causing or that was decreasing my chances of getting pregnant. So is that when they do like the dye test? They did the, yeah, the age. So you hadn't had that done before? No, that, okay. that was the first time. Okay. And I had everything done in her office. So it was nice to kind of come to a familiar place every time mm-hmm. we would go. And yeah, and she, you know, Sanjay's workup was negative, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just obviously tested um, the his sperm, which is very routine. And she told us, you know, IVF is probably our best chance. And so mm-hmm. I went in for 
egg retrieval, we got eight or nine pretty good embryos. Uh And then I think out of those fertilized embryos, three or four were a good grade, meaning higher chance of a genetically normal fetus and child. Right. Yeah. And that's where, that's where we started. Okay. So tell me about the mental side of this for you. I think it's interesting, you know, the, I think I said this on the, the panel too, that I didn't even know that secondary infertility was a thing. I had never heard that term before. Even when I was going through it, I hadn't, no one was calling it that or nobody had said that to me. You know, this was six, seven years ago now. So like a lot has changed and the Instagram community has blown up and there's all these support groups now, which is wonderful. But, you know, not having any of this at the time, I just didn't know these terms. So tell me, what your like version or your experience with secondary infertility is. And another thing I think we both talked about on the panel was like how you explain it to somebody because when you have a child and you're not having, you're having a hard time having another one, sometimes people are like, don't take you seriously or like, Mm -hmm. don't think it's as traumatic as if you don't have one at all. So can you explain like Like what you were going through? Yeah, I I don't think anything could have prepared me for the the physical thing is one thing, but the mental overload, having a full time job, a commute, um, obviously a partner who's my my husband's a physician and he was also very busy, mm-hmm. and a toddler, I was juggling the I was juggling multiple schedules. First of all, there was my own personal schedule or our family schedule. Mm-hmm. There was my patient schedule, and then there was. IVF schedule. And Mm -hmm. as you know, I mean, there's a myriad of oral, vaginal, injectable hormones, meticulous timing, all Mm -hmm. according to a very specific calendar. Then on top of that, we got blood work, we got ultrasound appointments. I was just running on a hamster wheel. Mm -hmm. So I would be juggling, you know, my commute in Los Angeles, which, you know, every stereotype you, everyone here is about is true. And then seeing patients in clinic and then work projects, fertility appointments, scheduled medication, and then, you know, all the home life stuff, which in itself can be overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a very strong minded daughter, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like her mama. So, you know, Mm -hmm. it it was mentally exhausting. Mm -hmm. On top of keeping up with all these different schedules, I had this insane amount of guilt. And so you had mentioned, you know, secondary infertility, which, you know, by definition is the inability to get pregnant or carry a baby to term after previously having a healthy Mm -hmm. pregnancy, giving birth to a baby. And so there was a lot of guilt from I am unable to give a sibling to my daughter, a second child to my husband, um, another grandchild to my in-laws and my parents, you you know, all of these mental games that you play on yourself. And then on top of that, because IVF can also be unpredictable, which leads to appointments and, and procedures that are scheduled literally on a whim, I had to cancel sets of patients. I lost patients because Mm -hmm. I had so many schedule changes So I felt so overwhelmingly guilty at first because I would work extra hours on top of what I was doing to accommodate these patients. Mm -hmm. So I was overextending myself. And this was all during my first IVF round. And, you know, it was nonstop. And then after, you know, receiving that negative pregnancy test after my first IVF cycle, 
there was just another cycle, uh, overwhelmingly amount of doubt and guilt. And I second guessed every decision I made, everything from, you know, choosing medicine to waiting a year to start trying for a second child. I mean, it, it really getting into your head was, was my downfall. Mm-hmm. Um, I think during that whole experience. Yeah. Did you have anybody say anything to you like, well, you already have a kid, so maybe you shouldn't try so hard or maybe you shouldn't want this or anything like yeah, that? It was more, um, I had a lot more people that I knew and I didn't know <laughs> ask me, you know, when am I going to have a second? When am I giving my child a, a sibling? Mm-hmm. And then people who had the best of intentions especially while I was going through IVF. Um, yeah, I did get those comments. Like, Wait, Didn't uh, you tell a story about a woman that came up to you in the, at the park? Oh my God. Can you yeah. tell that? I literally had an argument with this woman. Yes. So I was at the park with Gia, minding my own business. And I had a stranger come up to me and ask me when I was giving Gia a sibling. Or, and I think she said something like, you know, your daughter needs somebody. What are you waiting for? And I'm like, and I just kept looking at her like, Hi, stranger. Like, where are you? <laughs> like, are you for real? <laughs> yeah. She had three of her own, by the way, who was uh-huh. playing in the park. But, and then I actually, you know, I, I actually told her, well, you know, I'm trying and I can't have a kid right now. Mm-hmm. And she just kind of stopped and looked at me. And I'm like, yeah, if you're going to ask me personal questions, I'm going to give you a personal answer. And if you're mm-hmm. not comfortable for, with that, then like, don't ask. Good and, for you. It was just, and that was a a big turning point for me because I realized like, what am I hiding? Like, why am I hiding this information? Mm -hmm. This is something millions of women go through and it's okay to talk about it. And if the other party isn't comfortable, then that's where the conversations stop and we, you know, move on with our merry lives. (laughs) Right. And who is she to come up to you anyway? (laughs) Unsolicited. Exactly. And I mean, unsolicited advice, and I'm sure you could relate to this from friends and family, including strangers, but it was just, you know, people who meant the best and trying to help, but it was just like, just be positive and don't be stressed and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, that's not all it takes. Like me being positive is not going to get me pregnant. Right. Um, There's so much more to that. And that's another reason why I opened up on Instagram because I just realized that this, again, that this shouldn't be a a secretive thing. No one should Mm -hmm. go through this alone. Mm -hmm. Um, This is such a, I don't want to say a club, but this is an unwanted club that so many of us. Yes. No, that's, yeah. That's what I always say. It's the the worst club with the best members. Yes, exactly. I love that. I love that you say that. And Mm -hmm. I remember hearing that from you before. Yeah. Truly, like the strongest people I know have come from this club, and there's absolutely such inspiration. And I, I think we need to normalize this conversation. Like, it's okay to feel sad, it's okay to feel frustrated, angry, jealous, all of these myriad of emotions that we all go through. Right. And yeah, that's why I decided to open up about my story. Yeah. Basically. And it's okay to ask for help too. And I think that's yeah. what so many of us who have, you know, come out the other side now are like want to give back because we know how important that is to, to lift absolutely, each other up. Absolutely. And I think, you know, what's a little unique about my story is that after, you know, a couple of rounds of IVF mm-hmm. that weren't successful, you know, we made the conscious decision to, to just stop mm-hmm. and you don't 
hear that too often. Right. And the fact that I had a mind shift change that helped me come to whatever piece I needed to with that decision and move forward. Yeah. Really, I have carried over to into so many different aspects of my life. And that truly what is what I am trying to convey in my in, in my messages about infertility that it doesn't always end in what you wanted, but regardless of the result, it's okay. It, mm-hmm. You can approach this in so many different ways. And my hope is to have people approach it in a way that would benefit them. Yeah. Yeah. Can we unpack that a little bit, what you just said? So I don't want to breeze through the... So you did do IVF a couple of times with your embryos and did you say two rounds? Yeah. So after my first failed round, my... Sorry, I try not to use fail. My unsuccessful... Okay. Um, First IVF round. Why does that? Why is that important to you? Because you know, failure is whether it's culturally being you know South Asian and then being also in the medical field. You know, failing at something has such a negative connotation. Yeah, it's like you know, it's like I, it's like failing a test, and it's not like no, I didn't fail anything. IVF didn't fail me. It's just numbers and ability. Yes. That that's all it is. You didn't I like that. I'm going to use that. Okay. I failed is no longer in the vernacular. Yeah, I think so that's I, good. I, I say unsuccessful because. Okay. Really yeah. And my REI doctor was so shocked because she was like almost a hundred percent positive that I was going to get pregnant that we mm. decided to do a dummy cycle, which basically they test the lining of your uterus to see if the receptors are activated enough to have an implantation work within the normal time range that they usually do the implantation after mm-hmm. you know your shots. And so we so basically I went through a whole round but instead of getting an embryo implanted I just had a biopsy. So that was a really long wait and we found out that my uterine lining was not receptive at the standard time that they usually do implantations after the trigger. Mm-hmm. So my, so I always say it's not really around, but I went through the whole freaking thing again. <laughs> and it was just, you know, it, it again was a total mind game because you're like, oh my God, why am I doing this? When there's like nothing that's going to be implanted in me. There, there nothing's going to happen. So mm-hmm. there's a biopsy and I'm like going through this. I'm putting myself through all of this for what? But we got answers. So we moved forward with our second IVF round. What were they able to tell you? So I don't remember exactly what my reception was, but my uterine lining was actually receptive earlier than the standard implantation uh, time range. And so that's what we did with my second IVF transfer is they transferred it. They timed it like 20 something, I forgot the exact thing, but 21 or 21 and a half hours after my trigger. Mm -hmm. And it worked. I got pregnant, which was great, but I was still very cautious, uh, almost Mm -hmm. to the point where I didn't make myself believe that I was pregnant. I kind of just went along as if nothing was happening. Mm -hmm. And then I started feeling my very, very familiar pregnancy symptoms. And I had a very difficult pregnancy with Gia. I 
had hyperemesis gravidum where I was just throwing up and losing weight in my first trimester. Mm-hmm. And then I also had a huge subchorionic hemorrhage, which is basically a, a collection of blood in between the, the uterus and the other linings around it. Mm-hmm. And so I bled for the first six months. Oh, um, scary. Yeah, it really wasn't. I mean, my, yeah. And then I delivered her six weeks early. I mean, it was just... <laughs> Wow. My first pregnancy definitely wasn't a walk in the park, but I mean, she's such a blessing that, you know, you kind of forget about all of that stuff. Yeah, totally. And so I started having that same just extreme fatigue and nausea. I had the same aversions. And then I started spotting, mm. which again was how with Gia around four and a half, five weeks of pregnancy, I thought I had miscarried. I bled so much. And I was so traumatized by that, that when I found out that my first pregnancy was viable, like she had a heartbeat, I, I was shocked. Mm-hmm. And so I, that almost numbed me. So the second time when I started spotting, I'm like, crap, but you know what? I think it'll be okay. Cause I brought, I bled through, you know, Gia's pregnancy. Right. So I obviously immediately called my doctor that same day I was seeing the ultrasound showed a yolk sac. It was still so early that we couldn't see it. We weren't expecting to see a heartbeat. So they told me she, she had a heart to heart with me. She was like, you know what, Flora, from a physician to a physician, I understand your dedication to your career. I get it. And to your patients. And this is what we do. We give up ourselves for, for our jobs. That's like part of the definition of being a doctor. Mm-hmm. But she's like, look, you've spent a lot of time, a lot of your mental and physical energy, and quite frankly, a lot of money on this. And you really need to, to get your priorities in gear. I prefer you to be almost bed rest at this point in time until we figure out what's going to be going on. And I looked at her and I, I've, I've never had someone be so frank with me. Mm-hmm. And I've also, it takes a lot for me to take time off work. Like even with Gia, I took eight weeks of maternity leave and then I was back to work. And the only reason I took eight weeks instead of six weeks is because Gia was in the NICU for two weeks. <laughs> and so for someone to say that to me, and I obviously trusted this woman and I'm like, all right, done. And I called my manager from the parking lot right then and there in tears telling her that I was taking a leave of absence. Mm -hmm. And so I was on bed rest and again, still feeling the nausea, still feeling all of these pregnancy symptoms. And I went in for a repeat ultrasound a week later and there was no yolk sac. There was nothing. It was an empty, it was an empty sac. I'm so sorry. And it was just so funny because I... I don't read ultrasounds for a living, but I know enough about it that I knew what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. And so when the technician was doing the ultrasound, I looked at it and I'm like, crap, like I, there's nothing there. It's like an, but then in the back of my head, I was like, nah, it's probably nothing. Right. <laughs> it's probably fine. It, maybe she's not using the right. I mean, I need so many excuses in my head. Right. And what was funny or funny, what was ironic that day when I woke up, I remember saying to my husband, I feel fine. Like I feel so energetic. I feel like I could eat a full breakfast. Like all of my symptoms had resolved. And it, it must have something must have happened overnight. And so obviously I was 
devastated. I was broken all over again. Like all of that hard work with my mind shift change and this and that, all of that just crumbled the minute I verbally heard that this was a no-go. Yeah. And so I decided to continue taking the remainder of my time off of work from a mental standpoint. I think I just, I just didn't give myself time to, to feel, to acknowledge my feelings. Mm -hmm. And I I needed that time to figure out what was going to bring me closure. One, two, what we were going to do, like, are we going to pursue this again? And three, what was it going to take for me and my husband to be on the same page and for us to find peace, to move forward with the family that we have? We had lost so much time, Mm -hmm. um, you know, with Gia, with each other. Uh, We had hit pause on everything Mm -hmm. that it, it, you know, we, we, at that, in that time, we talked a lot and weighed our options and we're just like, you know what, We're, we're good. Let's, let's get back to us. I don't want to say never say never, but mm-hmm. for right now, let, let's just let go of this period of time and, yeah. and make the best of what we have. So that's what we've been doing. Right. So how long ago was it that you made that decision? That was July of last year. So almost a year ago. Okay. And did you feel, did you instantly, once you guys came to that same place, did you feel like a sense of relief or like just... You know what was really interesting? My DNC <laughs> was my closure. Uh-huh. Um, after I had their procedure, I felt like I could, I don't know, there's this whole weight was lifted off my shoulders. And yes, in short, it was my answer. Once I, I knew that I didn't have to take more injections and, and be on another schedule, mm-hmm. I felt free. I, I felt like I have my life back. Mm-hmm. I have my mind, my emotions. I have control of something again. And my husband even saw an immediate change in me. And I don't know if I was just worn down of all the you know, emotional ups and downs. I know women go through much more for much longer. So I, for me, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the back-to-back up and down. I don't yeah. know if it was the right decision. I, I don't know what brought me that closure, but whatever it was, I, I that decision definitely was a game changer and yeah. really made really just made me so much grateful for and you know it was we we also talk about this that what if I had primary infertility and Gia was kind of like our like I I don't know mm-hmm. what happened in like two years you know between me delivering Gia and us trying again that changed right I have no idea I never been tested before because it never crossed my mind right and Completely. so that's how we are approaching this. That, yes. You know, Gia is our miracle, is our yeah. blessing. And we are so grateful for everything that we have that at that point in time, we just didn't want to waste more time in not being able to concentrate on that. I totally get it. And I'm so glad that you're sharing this because I think it's really important for women to know and to give themselves that option that like, it's okay to stop trying. Yes. You know, I think sometimes you get in this like almost like a hamster wheel of like yes. cycle after cycle and you're trying and you're laser focused and you're, you know, I was like that. I was laser focused. And, you know, I remember I went to a therapist who was telling me, I had a great therapist all throughout all of this. And she was like, I want you to get comfortable with the fact that you might have a family of three and that's okay. And like, we worked really hard to get to that place. and 
you know, my husband and I had decided to just do one round of IVF and that was it. We weren't going to do anything else. We weren't going to pursue other options. Miraculously, you know, as you know, for me telling my story, the one round did work and we have our son, but had it not worked, that was going to be our end, you know, like that was our end of the story and it would have been okay. You know what I mean? Like either way it would have been okay. So I think it's just important. So happy for you, like to hear you say that because we kind of did the same thing. Our our that last round was kind of like, okay, we'll give this another shot, and Mm -hmm. then afterwards, we'll see how we're feeling. But this will likely be our last. So Mm -hmm. I'm so happy that you had a therapist that verbalized that to you because, again, we don't hear very many people stopping, making their own conscious decision to stop. It's like they're forced to stop, or you know, they they just go continue moving forward. Right. They have a baby, which is okay, right? It's I think- totally fine. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, like no judgment. But I think it's great that like you telling your story, somebody might be listening to this and they just need to give them, you know, like they're like, maybe in their gut, they kind of want to stop trying, yeah. but they're not sure if they can. And maybe this will give somebody license to be like, oh, I'm okay. We're okay. Like, I don't need to do this anymore. Yeah, I really hope so. I mean, in the end, the answer to, you know, pause or continue or to stop really just comes from within. Of course. Yeah. Listen to your gut. I mean, everyone has that feeling deep down that sometimes we'll push away because society or family or, you know, your partner, whatever the reason may be says otherwise. But really, I think deep down, we all know our answers. And um, I, I, you know, I have friends that, we literally tried for five, six years because mm-hmm. they knew in their heart that they wanted a second or third child. This is what was going to make them feel complete. And man, kudos to all to everyone who does that. And kudos to any, anyone that really knows what they want. I, I think that's for sure. Key, especially going through this, IVF is is really a a, a test for warriors. So I always tell even patients that my friends that yes. Um, this is not for the faint-hearted, for sure. No, and I think that's why there's such incredible women and men that I've met in this space. Is like literally when you go through this, gosh, you really figure out how strong you are as a human. And I think it just you know changes people so much. And you just want to, you're like grateful for things. You're more grateful. You want to help people. Like it's just, I don't know. It's such a unique experience, you know. It truly is. It truly is. We try our best to verbalize, you know, how we felt and what we went through. But until you go through it, it's just, there's no way to, it's really difficult to relate to. So I really, I'm so glad you have this podcast and, you know, other women can have, can hear what people are going through and and find some, you know, common ground with those feelings. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I know. I mean, this is came from a kind of a selfish place because it was like, what would I want if I was going through this right now? And it was like, you just want to hear people's real stories, like the messy parts too, you know? Yes. Yes. And there's so many steps that we each have to take to come to a a certain point where we're okay. You know, there's so much PTSD that comes with this. God. Um, And last month was the month that I would have delivered my, you know, child if I, if that pregnancy panned oh, out. Oh yeah. And you know, I never, I never expect, you know, I, I, I try to foreshadow a lot of things, but I never expected to feel what I felt. Cause I was only like six weeks. It was, but it, you know what? It doesn't matter how far along, you know, like right. Your a loss is a loss. 
You're absolutely right. And even just the idea of, of a second child, and I've written in a couple of my posts, coincidentally, we bought our new home right after I had found out that second IVF cycle was successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did, you know, it wasn't in relation to anything. We just needed a bigger space and um, we have a Jack and Jill bathroom here. And I, it's so funny, your mind wanders. I literally started daydreaming about, you know, Gia's sibling and her fighting over the bathroom and having like, you know, these sibling connections over, just a bathroom. Yes. It's so crazy. Wait, what is a Jack and Jill bathroom? Oh, a Jack and Jill bathroom is basically when two bedrooms share one bathroom. Oh, okay. And they each have like a door that goes into gotcha. the bathroom and there's two sinks and it, it's just... Okay. It's, yeah. We live in Brooklyn in a condo, so <laughs> <laughs> we don't have that. <laughs> um, but yeah, and it was, again, it's such a small thing. But you know your your mind wanders and yeah, totally about all these potential things because like my siblings and I fought over a bathroom and closets and clothes and you yes. know random things that you draw from your own experiences. But you know we realize that th- she is fine. She's great. She you know kids are so resilient, right? And she doesn't know life any differently. Well, so- you said something re- also really interesting on the panel, which was like. She's chosen to, and I'm paraphrasing, so you can even say it in your own words, but she's got her sisters and brother, her friends and other family, right? Like she's... Yeah. So it was quite ironic on my birth. So this all happened in July. My birthday's in August. And so Gia asked me what my wish was. And so I, you know, said something cheesy, like for all of us to be happy and healthy. And she was like, I have a wish too. And I'm like, okay, what is your wish on mommy's birthday? And she's like, to have a baby sister. Mm. And my heart broke, literally. Like I was like, oh my God, I'm going through this all over again. Yes. Oh. And so a, a couple weeks later, after I, I, I did some really deep thinking and I'm like, I really need to address this with Gia. We are surrounded by other families who are growing. And so, you know, she sees other children, our neighbors, our friends, having siblings. And so it's natural for her to think like that. I don't want her to feel guilty or bad about asking for this stuff. So I sat her down and I brought it up again. I'm like, you know, you did mention that you wanted a baby sister. And we kind of delved into that as in why and, you know, what she was looking for. And so then I, you know, in four-year-old terms, I broke it down to her and like, look, mommy and daddy tried really, really hard. We wanted nothing more to give you a sibling, but you know, it just didn't happen. And we don't know why, but we tried really hard for you. Mm -hmm. And I think it's best now that we move forward because we have each other. Mm -hmm. And then I move forward and saying that, you know, you have so many, so many family members, you have so many brothers and sisters. And I mentioned all of our close friends, kids and our cousins and, you know, and, and so she, she truly feels that she's not alone. She truly feels that she's surrounded by love and support and great mm-hmm. energy. And that's really all I want for her. And now she verbalizes the same thing that, you know, she has her own family and it's, you know, just like any other family. And I think it's, it's beautiful that a child can appreciate that and apply that.
Thank you guys so much for listening to my conversation with Flora today. And Flora, thank you for being on my show. It was so great to connect with you again. Just another quick shout out to check out fertilityrally.com if you guys want a community, weekly support groups, tons of virtual events. They're all themed and they've all been amazing so far. We have a free seven-day trial, so definitely check it out and let me know if you have any questions. Thanks, y'all. Talk to you next time.